0: Now back to the Matt Mosley Show on ESPN Central Texas. It is uh, Matt Mosley, the Matt Mosley Show here on ESPN Central Texas. John Jakus now set to join us from Baylor men's basketball, the associate uh, head coach over there, uh, co-associate head coach for Baylor men's basketball. John, uh, welcome back to the Mosley Show as we've had these two fun days of opening up the new uh, venue, the new basketball arena, Foster Pavilion. Uh, it was fun to see you down there on the bench. I hope uh, you liked those seats and everything, kind of met your specifications.
1: But uh, great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I think it was a great day. And in that regard, two days in a row for uh, Baylor's basketball, men and women's. And uh, I thought the foster was special. And, uh, you know, Scott's been here over 20 years, and I think it's kind of like an exclamation point on the rebuilding process. And it's an extension of uh, not only his success, but the girls' success. you got to say they've won three national championships in that span and uh, a top-five program in the country for sure. So it just feels good to have a new home and have the fans fill it up. Uh, It was a special evening.
0: Did you realize at any point that – Bill Gates was sitting behind you. I know you're very focused. I was down there working the courtside, uh, saying hello to some people, and certainly I was not able to get your attention down there. But uh, did you at least turn around at some point
1: and give Bill Gates a wave? I did not. I was told he was in the building, so I was aware that he was there. Uh-huh. Honestly, anytime somebody like that shows up, there's a lot of security, and you just kind of hear that they're in the building. I did not know he sat right behind the bench until after the game. And uh, Scott sent some pictures out to the coaching staff and to some recruits. And I, I thought, man, apparently I'm a little bit too locked in. That's something that's uh, split right over my head. But uh, he had some great seats, I'll tell you that. And he brought up how good our seats are, uh, you know, sitting in the front row for that experience. It was a special day, one of the best in my career for sure.
0: All right. What stands out the most about uh, the the pavilion as you kind of get to know it? And and you got you want to get in there as a coach, and I'm sure the players were excited. And Ray J said he loved the video boards and was watching those the whole time. What um, what about the uh, what really stands out to you the most when uh, I know you've been in there and y'all have had a chance to tour it, but getting out there for a shoot around and and kind of starting to figure things out and then kind of looking up. Um, I'm just kind of curious what stands out to you about, uh, about Foster Pavilion.
1: Yeah, I'm sure people have different opinions on the size of it, but I was at Gonzaga, and, you know, they're known as one of the top ten uh, kind of college atmospheres for game days on a consistent basis, on an annual basis, and they're about 6,500. So I've come from a gym that was smaller and yet was considered a top 10 home environment. So for us to go from the Farrell down to 7,500, you always wonder how that's going to feel. And I thought they hit a home run there, not just with putting the students on the floor and the students in the band behind the basket where the other team is shooting second half. I thought that was a great moment when they missed two free throws and the place erupted. You could really hear it. And then not just downsizing to the right size, but the verticality of it I thought was elite. And then when you get there and with the team – Uh, Kind of as an offensive guy, you know me, you want to see what the lighting is and what the backdrop is for our shooting. And uh, the guys adjusted really quick. I think the lighting's beautiful. And uh, not just the scoreboards, which are great also, but just the shooter's gym and the backdrop I thought was really, really special. And I thought they did a great job with the floor and the color of it. Uh, Overall, I just think the architecture is like a home run. Um, So we just need to make it home. We need to get as many chances as we can to practice in there. But it's a shooter's gym with a lot of students on the floor, and the verticality of it, I think, just makes it feel shrunk and loud, and it's going to be a special place.
0: I liked seeing one of the Baylor players, or actually it was a TCU player last night. I don't like seeing them make a bucket, but it did make me think they were pretty soft rims. Like, that ball, I don't know if you were, I don't know how much of the game you got to see last night, but like... There was one three-pointer where it bounced way up and it bounced around and then it went in. Uh, so it does seem, but that's interesting you to call it a shooter's gem. What what about that background? What it makes for a good background? I know what makes for a bad background, and that's those huge stadiums that you'll ha- you'll have to play in sometimes in the NCAA tournament. As the games get bigger, you get in football stadiums, and those things can be tough because it's not the normal backdrop but walk me through in your mind what makes for
1: a good like shooter's backdrop yeah i think you hit it right on the head those voided backgrounds where it's like a 100 yards behind the basket there's nothing and then the gradual raise in certain gyms the gradual background can be rough verticality actually helps because it gives this backdrop to the backboard that's that's really great as a shooter And then not just that, I think the lighting is like a home run if you're on the floor. If you saw some of the pictures afterwards, like with the media and stuff, I think it just photographs beautifully because of the lighting, but shooting-wise it helps. And then Scott and I were talking when we were shooting there for the first day when they let us in to kind of get ready for the game against Cornell. Uh, It's like an NBA rim. Like there's spots on the front and the side of it that are soft. But if you hit the back of that rim, that thing will bounce off, like back to the free throw line, especially if you shoot a three. We call it long shots, long rebounds. Um, So there's a lot of soft spots on the rim. Um, We were even debating, do we loosen it up a little for a home court advantage? But we decided to keep it as it was. And uh, there's plenty of soft spots on it, but the back is definitely uh, that back rim and bounce can get you. But it's a great shooter spot for all the reasons you said. And uh, I, I just think the verticality of it makes it that old Midwest field house. And, uh, you know, as a Midwest guy from Chicago, there's just something about that, that Indiana high school gym, those those vertical gyms uh, are special to shoot in.
0: What was the coolest Chicago area gym that you recall? I have not seen where Northwestern plays. Um, I've not seen where DePaul plays, but I was just kind of trying to think, or University of Chicago or Chicago State or something like that, what... What, what's one in your mind in that part of the country that really stands out? I mean, obviously, you get in Indiana and you got Hinkle and some different places, but what, what's one where you grew up around that you remember just thinking, man, this is
1: awesome? Yeah, for me, it's probably not based on how cool it is, but DePaul has a new facility in Northwestern, updated theirs recently. But when I was young, we went to the Rosemont Horizon. It was just outside mm. the city. And my first basketball game was actually DePaul versus Loyola, and DePaul was really good. And uh, Coach Meyer just passed away recently in the last week or so. And his dad's teams and his teams were a part of my youth. And uh, to go to the Rosemont Horizon was like a special thing. They also used to host NCAA tournaments. So my dad and I would go to the NCAA tournaments when they were at the Rosemont. Uh, We've got a Chicago hot dog stand nearby, Chicago pizza place nearby. So that's kind of uh, a memory for me and my father. Uh, they don't call it the Rosemont Horizon anymore, but uh, in my childhood, that was kind of the place where I had the biggest affection for those memories. Coach
0: Peterson said it was like the Dayton. Who are they? The Flyers, and I think his dad was like either a huge Dayton fan or something like that, or or associated with it somehow. And I think that's where he grew up going to
1: games. And so yeah, it was, Coach he and I just talk about that. Uh, Cause uh-huh. he was friends with coach Meyer and we were discussing kind of the history of that in a staff meeting and coach Drew's family knew them. Cause obviously his dad was a coach in the Midwest at Balbo and they knew each other. And coach P said, Dayton is for sure. I was a high school coach in Ohio, you know, a while ago, that's where I started. And you go to a Dayton game it's sold out all the time. It's a really special place. I would put it in that Gonzaga mold. Like there's never a night it's not sold out. So, We're trying to get to foster like that. I think this semester is going to be like that, which is is really special. But when Coach Pugh was a kid, it was Dayton for him for sure.
0: When did Gonzaga become known as the Kennel? Was that like – did that happen quickly just because of their nickname and it just seemed like a fun name or like how how do you – do you remember like where that came from?
1: Yeah, I wasn't there, but when you get there, they kind of make you learn the the history of it. And there's a guy who wrote a book about the history of Gonzaga – When they made that Elite 8 run and Dan Munson was the head coach, they immediately kind of built a new building attached to the old one. And they used the old one for like a practice facility and volleyball team. But the new one they they labeled the Kennel. And then Dan Munson went to Minnesota and took that job and that's when Mark Few took over. So as Mark Few came in after that Elite 8 run, that initial one, uh, there was a new building going in and uh, the Kennel is kind of stuck. I think it just comes from them being the Bulldogs and uh, them putting the students on the floor, the dancing and the routines and the kind of things they had memorized about being a student at Gonzaga, the sleeping outside in the snow the night before a game. I think all that just kind of goes to getting inside where it's warm, being loud and active, and celebrating Gonzaga basketball in the kennel. But uh, that came after their initial 8 run, mm-hmm. and then Mark took over with the new gym.
0: Those students over there behind the bench, I feel like I need to educate them on some things to say. You know that don't cross the line, but kind of work right up against the line. So there's probably some things I could talk to them about. But putting them down there was going to be a lot of fun. I can't believe there were as many students at y'all's game Tuesday against Cornell. That's crazy because the students are out of school right now. So I don't know who those kids were. Honestly, I mean, yeah, were we were so there. There
1: Baylor students from Dallas and Houston, but we were so encouraged that the student tickets sold out and that the student section was actually filled up with students. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an unbelievable job by our athletic department and the students as a whole. I thought they were going to give them away to people just to kind of fill the seats. And then the moment the doors open, you actually saw a line of students walk in like almost 90 minutes before the game. And if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what does. So it just feels great to have a home court advantage. And I just think that thing is going to, there's going to be something to it that's special and unique and Baylor specific and uh, the students getting behind it and actually being there 90 minutes early. I think you were there early. There's like a buzz. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a buzz that happens when you play Kansas on game day or you play these special Saturday games in the feral. But that was a, a Christmas break buzz where the students weren't in, se- in session and yet the student section was sold out. I mean, that mm-hmm. an absolute home run by Mac Rhodes in the athletic department.
0: Yeah, some, some venues, students have a buzz when they arrive. But not. not I'm going to let you say
1: that out loud. This okay. is your radio show. But uh, <laughs> you may or may not be wrong. Um, but I think ours just came happy because they had a new building. <laughs>
0: That's right. What did you think, John Jakus with us on the Matt Mosley Show, Baylor Associate Head Coach, uh, men's basketball, what What did you think of the way the players performed in what was one of those games where everybody was kind of looking around and it was an event and all of that? How How did you think? Uh, and they had that one lull where Cornell made a bit of a run in the second half, but uh, seemed to play pretty well for the most part. What did you think about the focus of the players? Because that's not easy to open a new building. All the excitement and craziness that has to do with that, but uh, seemed like they were, you know, on point fairly
1: early in the game. Yeah, there's this emotional, you know, outburst when you get into that situation. I thought Langston's first three was a big deal. Eve kind of carried us through the first couple misses just by getting offensive rebound putbacks. He was fantastic early on. And actually when Miro came in and hit those two threes, I thought Mm. the rim kind of loosened up and everybody saw the ball go in. And then we had 60 plus points early on in that second half and then came out hot in the first three minutes. And then I just think maybe the emotion and the low, we had a, a down seven minutes. And uh, during that stretch, I think once we got out of that range, they really just facilitated ourselves back into really good shots. And, um, you know, everybody played a role. Jacoby was great. I thought Jalen Bridges played as fundamentally solid a game as he has all year with the five assists and no turnovers. And, uh, you know, if you're complaining about 135 points per 100 possessions and it doesn't feel right when we score 98, then that probably means we've got some upside on the offensive end. But once that emotion died, I thought we hit that seven minute low. And then you got to give Cornell some credit. That's an older team, one that I think Mm -hmm. is uh, top 100 in the net ranking and much better than maybe the average fan understands. They're going to do really well in the Ivy. And they just didn't quit. And uh, that's good for us. Right before Big 12 play, that's probably the ideal opponent. You want to bring somebody in that's going to challenge you enough that so when you go on the road against Oak State, uh, you felt. A little down low where you had to work yourself back out of it. So I thought that was a good step overall and good scheduling by Coach P and Coach Drew to, to put us in a little harder game right before the Big 12.
0: Yeah, you don't, you, you got to thread the needle on that, don't you? You don't want like a yeah. crazy hard game, but th- that was a good team. I told you that number 30 I kind of liked and number 15 doesn't do anything but just launch threes. Like I would have enjoyed that being recruited like that just hey you we don't need you to dribble or really do anything except just launch from 25 feet. Now of course you have to be able to make those to get that role. I like that coach by the way from Cornell. He was kind of fun to talk to after the game and he even said that about one of his players. He said he he knows his role and he knows he's not supposed to go dribble or try to score in the lane. His his one thing to do is space the floor and I think there's something to be said for that what do you think about uh, Miro I mean that was so great he was feeding off the crowd he hits he went kind of for a heat check almost hit three straight threes Um, how's he handled you know not getting a ton of minutes but you know what's he like in practice and and obviously if he's going to come in and shoot like that he's going to earn more minutes
1: yeah when you're a freshman you know things happen And there's an up and down to it. And it doesn't happen to every freshman, but it happens to a lot of freshmen. And I just think that he and his family deserve a lot of credit. Because as you wait to be ready, you can wait in a complaining mode. And then when you get your chance, you waste it. Or you can wait in professional fashion, which he has. And then when you get your chance, you take advantage of it. And what you do when no one's looking – and then the spirit you have in your head and your heart when you're going through something that isn't easy. Sometimes the light comes on and what, what happens when your squeeze gets exposed. And uh, as he's come out of that, maybe freshman squeeze, you saw what was exposed was that he's a good player. And he's got good body language and he can he can give us stuff in big moments. And when we need it, he can make shots. And defensively he's improved and taken a step and, you know, in this day, day and age of transferring and everything else and kids thinking about the future too much and trying to get out of college so fast. Eric Spolster was had an interview the other day, and he said sometimes like they, they drafted Hequez because he was at UCLA for longer than he wanted to be, and they trusted that he could work through hard stuff. And, you know, I think we've got a bunch of guys going through that because our depth is so good, and Miro just happened to be the one that showed it that night. But others have shown it throughout the year. And um, when you're deep, you've got to learn to root for each other and stay ready, and he just happened to be the guy that night. All right, what do you – tell me
0: about Oklahoma State. They've struggled this season. They've dropped a couple of those, I think at least one bye game type situation. Um, but you never know. I mean, you all faced a team in Michigan State, hate to bring up a bad topic, but that had struggled, and you all kind of ran into a buzzsaw there in Detroit. I've talked to Scott about his scheduling on uh, <laughs> some of that, but what what do you make of uh, what do you make of Oklahoma State? Kind of where have they struggled, and and what what do you worry about the most with with that team, especially in that arena, which can be a very tough
1: place to play? Yeah, they they do a good job, and I think to put in the context, I think sometimes people look at their app, or ESPN app, or they look at Twitter and they see Oklahoma State lost, but. What they don't understand is they've had some injuries. Bryce Thompson, their leading scorer, has only played in 10 of the 13 games. I think that was linked to some of the losses. Their point guard small, missed the game. So I think injuries led to some of the early struggles, and people just don't pick up on that. It's football season. They see the scores, and they move on. Because they've won five in a row. And when they're healthy, uh, they've shown that they can win games. And they also show that they can do it at home. So where that backcourt is, is strong. And you've got 30 minutes from Williams and Bryce Thompson is himself and healthy and small, who's taken a huge step forward. He's leader in points and field goal attempts and three-point attempts and free-throw attempts and assists. You got that three-headed monster with the two athletes in Daly Jr. and Garrison. They're a good basketball team. And the two young kids, Garrison and Daly, they're freshmen. I think they'll probably make that second semester leap. Some people thought Daly Jr. was going to be a lottery pick I'm not a. High school, he played with Keontae at IMG. He was just one year behind. So they have talent. What they needed was some health. And when you see the ball go in at home for five straight games and you win five in a row, I'm sure they're going to be much more confident maybe than they were when they were struggling with injuries. So so much of this is where kids' heads are at, when and how you schedule your games, and how healthy you are. And I think Oak State's actually in a healthy spot right now. So we're going to have to give them our best. Uh, Coach New is doing a great job with the scout. Uh, we understand how hard it is to win a road game in the Big 12. And uh, after that Michigan State and Duke road game situation, I think our guys have learned that you can't just be ready. You have to be over-ready. And um, the attention to detail and the aggression has to go up. So this is a good challenge for us, and Oak State will be better than people think.
0: Yeah, that's not; those are not neutral courts. I mean, technically maybe they call that a neutral
1: court deal. Yeah, you are in New York City. If you think that was neutral, then... <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you'd be missing the point. I think the eighteen thousand Duke fans probably yeah. uh, made that quite a home game.
0: That's what I explained to somebody. I see these Baylor people around here; they all went to Baylor. <laughs> There's not a lot. <laughs> oh man, Duke Duke had that place uh, filled, but Baylor actually represented pretty well. I thought, in fact, uh, had about a thousand fans in there and got got yeah. kind of at times jumped into the game. Y'all were up fifty-four forty-eight. Um we were, you know, the Bears, I was there uh, with the family. We were very excited. So I thought uh, some good moments in that game. What do you tell these freshmen, the transfers, to get them ready for Big 12 play? Um, how do you kind of prepare them? Because you can't be truly prepared until you get thrown into it. But what do you – because they've been in some tough spots already. We were just talking about them. But what do you say to them about – the Big 12 to kind of try to mentally prepare them for this conference slate as you
1: get rolling here Saturday. Yeah, I think Scott. You know, when you're the head coach of a team like Baylor, you're you're gonna you got to be good at multiple things. You got to be a great CEO. You have got to understand fundraising. Got to be a GM with NIL. But you've also got to be a motivator. And I just think there's something about going to Big 12 play where motivation is important. But then you got to motivate them whether they're not overhyped. The stats and the analytics kind of tell a story, and they can paint a picture for the guys of how important certain things are. And then the guy doing the scout, the speeches and the explanations that Coach New is doing is important also. It all kind of ties together. But for us, really great teams, the one that win the Big 12, they're not coach-led, they're player-led. So Jalen Bridges spoke today. He's got the most minutes in the Big 12 games, and uh, he addressed the team. Coach New asked him to talk to them. And then you're going to have to have some guys just really quick learn what it means to be in the big 12. Like we're going to need Ray J as our point guard to step up and step forward in a leadership role and just not let things go. Langston has been here and watched John as he's going through the ups and downs of his knee and some other things. He, he has so much experience that he can give to the guys. So you can choose to sit over there or you can choose to cheer and coach over there. So even the environment of your own bench matters. So, we're going to put this on the coaches some. It's our job. But you get really great when you become a player-led team. And so some of the challenges needs to be on them. And uh, you know, maybe we missed that a little bit as we played our first two road games, but I think we're going to be better prepared for, for this stretch.
0: John, I'm excited. 2 o'clock Saturday there in Stillwater. And uh, that'll be fun. Get in there, get some shots up. I love that Ray J. floater. I know he's got good float game. He can post up as well. But, man, there was one coming right at me where the media seats were. I'm right behind the basket back there. I had a good view, by the way, of Scooby and Christian, the halftime act. I don't know if you heard about that. There were some, lots of <laughs> I heard of good, a little uh, bit about my,
1: from my family afterwards. But I've learned something about you. You like guys who only shoot threes and don't dribble, and you like floaters. So um, that's two things I learned about you today.
0: Now, I I didn't, I had more to my game than just the three, but I sort of appreciate a coach who just, who just calls that what it is. Like we tell this guy on our team not to do anything else, but stand out here and shoot threes. Like he is not to go trying to dribble in there. And I think that's important for some players to, to know their roles. You have some very, very versatile players, but occasionally, you know, probably they get ahead of themselves, but, uh, uh but the ray j there's something about that floater though that was just like i it it brought me back to some of those guys from like the 70s or 80s there was like a there was like an earl monroe like aspect to it it just kind of had a gorgeous kind of uh feel to it so anyway i just thought i would i would share that with you i was i was moved by that particular teardrop or floater good mhm all right um John, take it easy, safe travels, tell everybody in Stillwater hello, and then we'll we'll get ready for the, the Mormons to come to town.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you and all you do for us, and I hope we see you next Tuesday when BYU's here, but I think we're going to focus on Oak State first and then just take them one at a time. But, uh, yeah, I can't get over how special Foster was, and it's our job to win games, so that just maintains you know the, the energy that's going in the right direction, so we're going to try to do that.
0: All right, there he goes, John Jakus, the associate head uh, men's coach for Baylor Basketball.